turn in your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes. On page 663, Ecclesiastes 11, we're going to read the first six verses. Find Psalms, you're getting close. Ecclesiastes 11, starting at verse 1. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven, or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the woman of, into the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. There was once an elderly gentleman who loved playing golf. But he was almost 80, and his vision wasn't that good anymore. So he always had a friend go with him, a friend who could see really well. Well, on this particular day, he went to the golf course, and he's waiting in the clubhouse, and his friend never showed up. And it was one of those beautiful mornings where the sun was just perfect, there was no wind, the birds were singing, and oh, he just wanted to get out there. But he knew he couldn't do it on his own. Well, another elderly man in the clubhouse saw him and asked, what's wrong? And the man explained his predicament. He goes, I was really looking forward to playing golf today, but I don't see very well anymore, so I need someone to come with me so that they can tell me where the ball went. The second man was even older than he was, but he said, yeah, that's that's no problem. He says, I can't walk very well, but I've got 20-20 vision. I, I can see like an eagle. He says, you just hit the ball and I'll watch it fly down the fairway. So they went out to the first tee and the old man hit the ball right down the center. He turned to his spotter and he says, did you see it? And the man replied, I saw it all the way until it stopped rolling. Well, where'd it go? The other man said, I forget. (laughs) And for the record, Bob, I'm not talking about you, okay? I'm not. It just goes to show you that even the best laid plans don't always work out like we hope. A message that I think you hear repeatedly in the book of Ecclesiastes. I think we all wonder this from time to time. Do the plans I make, the plans I make for the Lord, do they they really matter? Am I being used to, to change anyone's life? As I teach Sunday school, as I help out with VBS, as I serve on the council, as I tithe, as I give to the poor, am I making a difference or am I just spinning my wheels? A couple months ago, I had someone stop by the church asking for help, and he had quite a story. And so I went down to the gas station and I filled up his, his car with gas. Next day, we had a heart meeting. Um, It's made up of representatives from the different churches in the area, and we try to meet needs in this community. And 
Lo and behold, everyone said that this fellow had come to their church and he had got something from every single church. I hate taking being I hate being taken advantage of, don't you? I hate when that happens. You want to be good stewards of God's resources and and then something like that happens and it's so easy to say, well that's never going to happen again. I'm I'm just not going to help people out. Or you see someone begging at an intersection. And because you just read a story that they're all scam artists, you don't even look at them. You don't even acknowledge them because they're not going to pull the wool over your eyes. Or you help someone in need and you buy them some food or pay one of their bills and a week later you see them at McDonald's and you think, wow, that's really not a good use of, of their money, especially because they needed help. And so you think, well, I'm not going to let them take advantage of me again. Even churches can get burned out. Our best laid plans, they they don't always work out. Sometimes we don't see a whole lot of fruit, despite all the work that we put into something. And at times like this, what are we supposed to do? I believe that's the question that that Solomon is, is answering in our text. And I think the answer that he gives is probably was a surprise for the Christians back then, for the the believers, but I I think it's also, it can be a surprise for us as well. And hopefully it will, uh, hopefully it will make us think about our our tithing and, and, and the plans that we make. Lately I hate to read the newspaper or even to watch the news on TV. Seems like it's one bad report after another. Famine and earthquakes and, and tornadoes and, and eruptions and drought, people starving, wildfires, Russia's invasion of, of Ukraine, the spread of COVID or even the spread of Ebola, the breakdown of the family and marriages, even the growing inflation in our country. $5 for a dozen eggs. Can you believe it? Who would have ever thought? In these uncertain times, it would be easy to become, I think, overwhelmed, afraid. And in that fear, it's easy to just be concerned about yourself, your, your spouse, and your family, making sure that you have enough. When you take this attitude to an extreme, it's easy to become one of those doomsday people that fill their basements with food and water, For that day, you know, when everything might come to an end and there might be a crisis. And then, of course, in order to survive, in order to keep that food, you got to have weapons, right? Lots of guns to keep people away so that you've got that food or water for your your family. But is that really a biblical attitude? For those who stockpile things for the day of trouble, they, they believe is coming. Are they doing that so they can share their hoarded resources with those that will be around you so that you can show them the love of God? Or are you doing that just because you're focused on yourself and your family? I hope you hear the point I'm trying to make. It's not wrong to protect your family. It's not wrong to provide for your family. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is We can't do this at the expense of loving our neighbors as ourselves. That's our call as well. 
And we have to be faithful to that. So when it comes to using your talents, your, your time, your, your treasure, what is God calling you to do? And let's look at some different things that our text says. First, verse 1 says, Cast your bread on the waters, for after many days you will find it again. Some theologians think that what this is saying is don't play it safe. Ship your grain across the sea because there'll be a reward from that in, in just a, a few short days or weeks. But it could be saying that. But I think the message really is even simpler than this. It's actually an Arab proverb. It means sometimes we do things for others and it may appear to be a waste or it may appear to be extravagant. Who would take good bread and, and just toss it upon the water? for the fish or for the ducks. Why would you do that? Well, you wouldn't. It may seem like foolishness. It might seem like a waste. But actually, couldn't you say the same thing about God and his grace and his love for us? Why does God waste his time, his, his love on, on his foolish people back then, but also even us today. That's the nature of God's love for us. It's extravagant. It's amazing. It's undeserved. This is the kind of love that God wants us to express in our own lives. And he wants us to express through our church. To joyfully cast our bread upon the water for the glory of God. I think you could say that whenever we have VBS or We help the teachers at the public school with school supplies. Or we help somebody with our benevolent fund. Isn't that kind of what we're doing? We're casting our bread upon the water? It may seem like a waste to some people. But for those who have received and experienced the love of Christ through his people, it's definitely not a waste. But it speaks louder than words. You know, sometimes we can see its impact, other times we can't. But even when we can't see it, that doesn't mean God's not at work. You know, it's a proven fact that those who give generously tend to be more content throughout their lives. The, gener- the more generous you are, the more content you will be. It's a, it's a proven fact. The generous giving of your time and treasure and talents It has the added benefit of helping us live longer and being happier. When you give generously, God invites you to share in his joy. You might remember that parable. Share in the master's joy. You were faithful. That's true even today. That's only the effect it has on the giver. The blessing on those who receive the gift, it's, it's even has a a greater impact. It's amazing sometimes what that can do. When I was at my last church, there was a a woman that came to the church. She got behind in the taxes on her house. And taxes in Hammond were were pretty high for given that community. And I think she owed about $6,000 and she had no money. And she only had a couple weeks to come up with it and there's just no way she was going to be able to do that. She was just a, a waitress. She came to our church asking if we might be able to help her. 
And one of the families in the church agreed to help this young woman, and they paid the taxes on her house, $6,000, and they didn't ask anything in, in return. They told her she didn't have to pay it back. They were giving it to the Lord. I wish you could have seen the joy on this woman's face that day when she found out that her house was not going to be sold at a tax sale, but that it had been saved. It was just incredible. And this had an effect on this this young woman. She started coming to the church. I remember her telling me that she couldn't believe that perfect strangers would help her. She couldn't understand it, and she had to understand it better. And so she started coming to church and kept coming to church. And pretty soon she became a member of the church. That was some 15 years ago. Remember last year I got a phone call from her. And she brought that up again to me. And she goes, I I still think about that, how the church helped me. And I'm still in awe that they loved me that much, even though I was a stranger. And and she said, and and so I've decided I'm going to do the same thing. And even though she doesn't have a lot of money and, and she's limited in what she can do, she started to help those around her when they were in need, when they were stuck. And through her love, Lives were changed, and through her love, some people even began attending the church. That's the love of Christ. That's what happens when we're extravagant with it, and we cast our bread upon the water. It may seem foolish to some, but for those who know the Lord, who have received that gift in Jesus, you see the reason for it, to be generous. Remember how Jesus commended the poor woman who put two mites or two pennies into the temple treasury? It seemed like an insignificant amount. I mean, two pennies. What can the Lord do with that? But that's because we're looking at it from our viewpoint. But God can use anything. And when we give faithfully, Even the little that we have, God can take that and multiply it and use it to bring himself glory. See, this woman didn't give that money in order to be right with God. She gave it as an expression of her love. She gave it in obedience to God's command. We also don't give in order to make try to make it into heaven. We we don't give because we're trying to earn God's favor. For us, too, it's the same thing. It's, it's an expression of our love. It's an expression of our gratitude. This is the generosity we're called to show to others in verse 2. It says, give portions of seven, yes, to eight. Those of you who are familiar with the Bible, you know the significance of that number seven. In both the Old Testament and the New Testament, it, it, it's the number of completeness. And, and so it's the idea that... that that we're going to give faithfully, that, that we're going to give generously, we're going to give from the heart. We're to give and to keep giving. And because it's not just seven, but it says eight, it, it's reminding us that we're to give above what God calls us to give. We're to be as generous as our Father in heaven is. We're to be as generous as God is. We're all called to give that seven or that ten percent. That's 
the number seven, but we're being called to give up and above that. Give generously and watch how God doesn't bless us in return. Not just financial things or material things. Blessing of family, the blessing of so many things that we enjoy each and every day. Listen to how 2 Corinthians 9 puts it. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And then just a little later he says this, You will be made rich in every way, so that you will be generous on every occasion, and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Verse 3. Solomon describes our generosity as being like rain clouds. It's only natural for rain clouds to spill over, right? That's what they do. That's a picture of how we should be as well. We're blessed in order to be a blessing. We're blessed not just to keep those blessings for ourselves, but to allow it to flow through us and to others, to to bless others and to bless our church. That's how God made us. That's how he wired us. What does it take to be a generous giver? Well, simply put it, it requires that we put our trust in God, right? If you're going to be generous, then you've got to trust that God is going to keep his word to you. And he's going to give just as he promised. This past week, I was looking online, and I, I, I came across some cowboy wisdom. Cowboy wisdom. These are some quotes from some famous cowboys. And boy, there's some truth here. Never drink the water downstream from the herd. It's a good one, right? Never dig for water under the outhouse. That's a good one, too. That's important. Never squat with your spurs on. Never ask a barber if you need a haircut. Trust your neighbor, but brand your cattle. Never kick a cow chip on a hot summer day. That's important to remember, too. There's a lot of wisdom there. And in our passage, when you read verse 3 about the clouds and, and the trees, you might think, well, isn't that kind of obvious? If a tree lands to the north or to the south, it lies where it fell. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. It's all part of God's plan, where you could say it's part of his providence. You could also say that nothing happens by accident. Rather, it's happening according to God's will. Verse 4 says, He who watches over the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the works of God the maker of all things. There's so much that's part of our lives that we really don't understand. And we don't understand God sometimes, what he's up to, why he does what he does, why he allows certain things to happen to us. There's no way we're going to figure God out. But despite the unknowns and even the risks, we still need to be willing to cast our bread upon the waters. But if you trust God, you're willing to do that. Because you know that while we're called to be obedient, the results are up to him, right? 
Georgia farmer was sitting on his steps, on the steps of his dilapidated farmhouse. And a stranger who was walking by the, the farm asked if he could get a drink from the well. And the farmer says, sure. The man said to him, well, how's your cotton growing? Because it was down south, and the farmer replied, I ain't got none. The stranger asked, didn't you plant any? Nope, said the man, afraid of bull weevils. The stranger asked, well, then how's your corn? Didn't plant any corn either. Afraid there wasn't going to be enough rain. Well, the stranger persisted. How are your potatoes? Didn't plant any potatoes. Was afraid of the potato bug. Frustrated, the man asked, well, what did you plant? And the farmer replied, nothing, I'm just playing it safe this year. You know, inaction can be a big temptation, can it? In the face of all this uncertainty, it would be easy to do nothing. Rather than giving generously to others, rather than giving generously to the church, it would be easy to just hoard our resources that God has given us and just keep them for ourselves. That's why Solomon says in verse 4, if you wait for the perfect conditions to be generous, you're never going to find it. There's never going to be a perfect time, but we have to be generous and faithful with what he's given us, with even where we're at right now. We have to trust him that he will continue to provide for us. Never perfect conditions. Instead, God wants us to just trust him. He wants us to take that step of faith and plant our seeds and to take the talents that he's given us and to use them for God's glory and to take the treasure that he's given us and invest it in the kingdom. We're called to cast our bread upon the waters. And we can do this if we truly trust our Father in heaven. Solomon says in verse 6, Sow your seed in the morning, and at evening let not your hands be idle. We don't know which one of our plans are going to succeed. We don't know what tomorrow is going to hold. But we do know who holds the future in his hands, and that's enough to know that God is there. That's why we can freely give of ourselves, of our time, of our treasure, of our talents. See, in the end, it's, it really is about whether we trust in God or not. Will you take him at his word, or will you doubt his promise? When you hoard the resources that God has given you, isn't that what you're saying? Lord, I love you, but I don't really trust you like I say I do. Let me claim that. Let me read that promise that we claimed a minute ago again in 2 Corinthians 9. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion, and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. See, when you have that kind of trust in God, that frees you to cast your bread upon the water because you know that God will provide for you. Next week, we have an opportunity to make a, a pledge toward the new addition. And really, it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to show who we're trusting in. To give as God has given to us. 
God is calling each of us to take a step of faith and to cast our bread upon the water. To this world, this kind of giving, it, it, it doesn't make sense. Why would you tithe? Why would you give? And not just give a little bit, but for some, if the Holy Spirit is laying this on your heart, why would you give even to the point of sacrifice? Well, you're able to give if you truly trust the giver of all gifts to us, the one who sent his one and only son, who loves us completely. If you truly trust him, you're willing to cast that bread upon the water. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, I pray that this will describe each of us. Cast your bread upon the water your eyes on the Lord. He will not let you down. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, you provide for all our needs. You're so generous to us in both meeting our needs each and every day, but especially the gift of your son, Jesus. Lord, you taught us what generosity is all about. And we just pray that we, in turn, might learn to be generous as we live our Christian lives. Father, thank you for all that you're doing in our midst. Father, thank you for bringing us to this point as a church where we're, we're ready to build this addition. And we just pray, Lord, that as a church, we might get behind this and that we might faithfully provide the funds, giving not to a church, giving not to man, but giving to you trusting that you will keep your promise to us. Father, we just pray that through all this, that you will be glorified, that the name of Jesus will be lifted up, and that we might better serve our community in Jesus' name. We ask this in Christ's name, amen. Our song of response is